Hey, this is the True Crit Podcast where me, John Digital and Lizzie Benito get pretty nerdy about an artist's discography. This season, we're talking about Steely Dan. So strap in, it's going to be wild. Amazingly, episode five. I can't believe it. This is a podcast where me and Lizzie Benito get increasingly obsessive over the music (laughs) of Steely Dan. Truth. This week, we're going to be talking about their fifth record, The Royal Scam. There's a lot in it. It's a very dense record. Oh my God. If you want to know more about the Ottoman turban, please, (laughs) please stay tuned. Oh my God, the Ottoman turban. I think I know what you mean (laughs) as well. (laughs) I went a little bit deep about researching hats. Okay, I know exactly which song you're talking about as well. (laughs) My God, this album. This is my, by a millimetre, my favourite Steely Dan album. Wow. It's the the second one that I got into after I got into Asia. So I'm very fond of it. And I think the reason why it's my favourite, because the songwriting is just peerless and the storytelling is again just completely beyond anything i think at the time when i listened to it it's better than anything i'd ever heard before it's vivid and powerful from the last album katie lied it's such a relief yeah isn't it you've got that kind of as you've very well put it an audacious opening record Mm. It doesn't stand up to the rest of the records. You then get this very hot band that have come off from touring. They've got all their chops in a row and they're just having an absolute joy mm. in the studio. You've then got this pop masterpiece or masterclass yeah. of how to just write really detailed pop songs. Then you've just got the absolute murky depths of deprivation that is... Katie lied. Katie lied, yeah. And then this, just this. I tell you what, this is like living in a house and you knock down a wall and find out there's like a whole other house. <laughs> because That's a this, very good description. Yeah. Yeah. A house and it's got a fucking pool. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, just it's like, you're just like, how did I not know this was here? Yeah. It's such a leap forward, this record. It really is. And moving on from Katie Lied, so refreshing to hear them have like a renewed sense of energy because they sound so jaded on Katie Lied. Yeah. The lyrics, the lyrics, the music, the themes. Um, and this one feels like it's a natural progression from the themes that they've picked up on previously. So it's quite crime heavy, this album, I think. Yeah, yeah. And almost like the consequences of the characters that they've created are actually now facing yeah. because of what they've done. Yeah, a lot of the themes are in there. Surprise. There's a lot of there's a lot of sex in this album as well. Yeah, and I will say as well, there is no heroine in this album no ah okay no not like obviously yeah but i think there might be a couple but again it's like the consequences of yeah. i think yeah i'm interested to know what order did you hear this record you know when you were kind of discovering steely dan obviously so after asia went full like because you know i was born in 1979 so i'm used to albums if i get a new album i will literally sit there and listen to the album from beginning to end yeah I won't pick out songs that I want to hear. So I literally started from Kid Charlemagne and worked my way through. And that was the order I listened to it in. Cool. Because I, I had a copy of this record on mini disc. Mini disc? <laughs> Back in like, I was trying to, th- I was trying to really pinpoint it, but it's like 2002, 2003. I was going out with a girl called Jemima at the time. And her mum lives in the middle of fucking nowhere in southern ireland she went to stay with her and then i went over and stayed with them for a couple of weeks and i remember very vividly i caught the plane from birmingham to dublin and i got off and i was listening to this record you know when you like go somewhere and you've never been there before and everything Mm -hmm. seems like a bit like weird or a bit like dodgy or just you know because it's all new like you have this like sensory overload but i was just listening to this record on a loop and every time I hear it, that's what I think about of just wow. going, going around the city like for the first time. I kind of feel because the weather wasn't great either. So this this record, almost like the front cover where you've got all that kind of grey cloud, and that's just very much like how I feel when I listen to this record. Yeah, yeah. But um, 
it's phenomenal it, as as i've said i've said more than once i think it's a really tough decision for me with this record asia and gaucho mm-hmm. because they all have their merits and it's very difficult for me to to criticize them really <laughs> so really difficult we should probably get stuck in because we've got we a lot probably should. we've got a lot to talk about yeah we have and it's gonna be good fun i can't wait i've been buzzing to do this for such a long time <laughs> so this record opens with kid charlemagne oh so i should just um caveat every single song with i fucking love this song because <laughs> i fucking love this song it's one of my favorite songs ever kid charlemagne my notes open with saying everything about this song is amazing now the actual title did you have a read around who Charlemagne was no I didn't well I've read around who it's based on um, about Stanley Olsley yeah what a dude what an amazing I mean, dude obviously you know his day job is not one that we'd encourage but what an incredible life what a wild he's still alive is he still alive no he died I think he died about 10 years ago in a car oh, crash I thought it was, oh my god yeah oh I was in- kind of hoping he's still alive yeah, me too. I think I would try and track him down. <laughs> so I'd really like to meet him. So we should probably talk about who he is and how it relates to the song and how it relates to the title because it blew my mind when I researched the word Charlemagne. Augustus Stanley Owsley, otherwise known as Stanley Owsley, was one of the chief, I'm trying to think of the right word, chief cooks of LSD in the late 60s uh, in America. He it's estimated that he made about a million doses of LSD. Yeah, he was responsible for a lot of um, yeah. crazy shit, wasn't he? Yeah, and he was he was like hanging with like Ken Kesey and all those dudes when they were doing their psychedelic traveling around the states in further. And he was also a sound man for the Grateful Dead. Yes, yes, that's like a big thing for me because I am an out and out deadhead. Are you? Yeah, I... I didn't know that about Did you not know that? No. Oh, I I feel like I... I A fun fact for me. Well, yeah, I do. I love them. I absolutely love them. And at one point, they were actually living in a house near Haight-Ashbury. Because Haight-Ashbury is the interjunction of two streets. And I've been outside that house. Have you? Yes. Oh, I love it. I have like been there and just soaked it in and just be like, oh man, Owsley was in there making acid. <laughs> the Grateful Dead were just all living together. It was all like really harmonious and the whole of Hate Ashbury was just like a light with just an opening of consciousness. Mm-hmm. It was just amazing. So Because he, he made like the purest LSD. Yes. Yeah. Didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he did. And he also did like a new Coke thing. So, I mean, Coca-Cola, they, they brought out a flavour once called New Coke and it, it was apparently disgusting. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've heard about this. He kind of redesigned LSD and put it out as STP. Everyone hated it and everyone had really bad trips off it. So that got like... Walter Becker in 2000 said that it was loosely inspired by Owsley... But I don't think so because no, knowing no. knowing everything, this is it has t- to be about him. It has to be about yeah. him. So I found on a on a fan forum, one of the contributors was so obsessed with Stevie Dan and obsessed with this song that they made contact with Stanley and asked him outright whether the song was about him, and he said it wasn't. Right. But. Surely, if you were to admit that a song about LSD was about you, you'd have, like, the DEA on your back immediately. Yeah, and he did do time in jail. Yeah. And this and this song references that. Mm-hmm. But, but what I find amazing is just... So, the opening line... So, he's living with the dead... So the music's playing. It mentions San Francisco. It says he's the best in town. Just by chance, you cross the diamond with the pearl. I love that line. I love it too. What's that? Um, I couldn't work out what that represented. It's, I for me, it's like... Is it just like that kind of, you know, like alchemy? Yes, exactly that. Yeah, exactly that. So he he kind of invents this, although he didn't invent LSD, but he, you know, creates this amazing 
formulation of it and turns on a generation and it says that in the lyrics it says you turned it on the world that's when you turn the the world world around around. yeah and i could just go line by line because i'm just so obsessed by it because then it says Did you feel like Jesus? <laughs> Did you realise that you were a champion in their eyes? That's like, oh man, it's just just trying to kind of get into like his psyche, like how he must have felt knowing that his product was having this effect on the world. It's like, man, it's just it's just amazing. Yeah, but that's this song sets the standard for the rest of the album because of its deliberate storytelling. Yeah. And the songwriting is just so far advanced from ev- anything they've done before. And this whole song, it tells a story, yeah. a full story. It's not like you had the, the vignettes in Pretzel Logic where they were kind of like snapshots. This is a full kind of epic story about you know, Stanley, what he did, what he was doing, how good it was, um, but then how it kind of all unravels as well. Yeah. So you've got this kind of, this story arc in one song. One song. It's incredible. It's incredible. It is. There's a couple of fronts to zombies that is kind of, that goes through this album. Some of them are quite obscure. And there's one in here, which um, I picked out and... Um, this was some of part of some of my research that I was doing. So when it talks about look at all the white men on the street. Yeah. So White Man was a, a comic by Robert Crumb. No way. Yeah, about Whoa. this kind of this kind of zombie like businessman. Yeah. Type character. Yeah. Um, I thought let me do some digging, but they were both Walter and Donald were both into Robert Crumb's comics, and they actually described how they choose some of their musicians as people who look like Robert Crumb jazz musicians. <laughs> so if they look like them, then they choose them, which is crazy, which does raise a few questions about uh, yeah, what they were probably into, because Robert Crumb, he's a bit iffy. Yeah. It's Sorry to the Robert Crumb fans. Problematic, I think, is probably the good word. Yeah, to, it's probably it. Yeah. And that's probably another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I read that apparently Stanley, apparently Walter White from Breaking Bad is loosely based around Stanley. Yeah, yes. I read that theory. This is an interesting one. Oh, one thing I picked out. This is one of the key things that I picked out. This is the line, all those day-glow freaks who used to paint the face, they joined the human race. I was a day-glow freak. (laughs) (laughs) I was a crasher kid. And then I um, I hung up my neon bra and got a job as a sales manager. So I feel a little bit bad about that because I feel like I'm one of the people they're singing about. Because it is, it's about LSD losing popularity yep. and cocaine becoming the, the popular drug. Yeah. And that's how he ended up being in the red. Yeah. Yeah. And in trouble. Just, yeah. Because people don't want LSD anymore. No. Well, I, I do. Um, All right, mate. <laughs> <laughs> what really blew my mind is the fact of the title. It's called Kid Charlemagne. Yeah. So Charlemagne was a post-Roman empire of the Romans from 800, which is kind of like the early Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. And he actually united uh, Western and Central Europe. And through that unification there was a renaissance for a period of time and that is what really blows my mind because they are saying that he Owsley is comparable to Charlemagne Mm. for uniting everyone for you know for bringing everyone together and and this renaissance in art and music and film but it was only for a fixed small period of time yeah and that's amazing so like how the how the fuck <laughs> how did they have time to like read all this stuff because that's the only way they could know it it's just astounding to me because the other thing as well is this song was a single off the records and i i'm pretty sure it's the most like cryptically lyrical single of all time because if you don't know any of this stuff it's just yeah it's just I, a yeah, song I, 
Yeah, exactly. I suppose you wouldn't, would you? And we're lucky because we have the internet to tell us what all of these these things are about. Yeah. Unless you literally grew up taking LSD. Yeah. With the Grateful Dead. With the Grateful Dead. Yeah, you you just wouldn't know. You wouldn't know who he was, especially in, you know, what, 1975, 76. Mm. Oh, just astounding. Yeah, uh, I love the way the song kind of descends into panic towards the end. Yes. I love that line where it's like, is there gas in the car? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That bit, that's amazing. I think the people down the hall know who you are. Yeah. It's honestly, it's my favourite Stevie Dan song. Yeah. I fucking love it. It's perfect. And just to reiterate our stamp of perfection on this song, the fucking guitar solo in this song. God, we haven't even talked about (laughs) the musicians. (laughs) It's just the lyrics. And this is the thing. This is the thing with this fucking band is... And this album as well is that my notes on the musicians are like minimal because the lyrics are so rich. There's so much to talk about. The themes are insane and complex. The guitar solo in this song, there's a guy online, he's called Rick Beato, and he's this amazing like multi-instrumentalist and producer and he breaks down songs. And so he, there is actually an episode where he breaks this song down musically. Is this a podcast? It's uh, He's on YouTube. Oh, I think I've heard of this guy. And, I need to check him out. Yeah. And he spends about 20 minutes explaining all the theory and how this solo is played. And just breaks it down into little chunks. And then just plays it himself like he was like buttering a piece of bread oh god i hate him yeah but the solo in this just everything about this song as you've already said it sets up the rest of the records everyone is performing at absolute peak there is nobody they're not carrying anyone anymore no they've gone out and find the best musicians they can find we'll quickly give a shout out to to bernard purdy who's the drummer on this record because he is just fucking phenomenal it's just oh i just i love this song i love this album i've been wanting to talk about the caves of altamira for a while now <laughs> because this is just an incredible song. This this is the peak of their songwriting. The lyrics are incredible. I can't even find the words to describe how beautiful I think these song lyrics are. It's almost like, you know, you could stand them up on their own without the music and they are poetry. Yeah, they're really just very magical, these lyrics. Yeah. Because of what it covers and what it conjures up. Mm-hmm. And yeah. It's about so many things at the same time. It's deeply, deeply complex. And I didn't realise how complex until, again, I started digging into it and trying to understand it. And it's insane. And also, I should point out, I've discovered there's a missing verse that they didn't record. (gasps) No way. Yeah, which I'll come to later because that adds a totally different angle on this whole song. Wow. Yeah, which is mad. This was my take that I was very proud of. (laughs) I got the take all on my own because I don't use Wikipedia for my damn research because it's a bit thin on the ground and it doesn't really go deep enough. So I hadn't looked at Wikipedia at all about the Royal Scam. And I looked at it today about this particular song and saw my fucking take (laughs) (laughs) mentioned like really briefly. And I was like, oh man, but at least I know it's right. Yeah. So, are you familiar with Plato's allegory of the cave? No. So, I'll be as brief as I can because it's... just, Okay, so, it's basically, it's philosophy 101, the allegory of the cave. And this isn't me trying to sound clever because I got an E in philosophy and I think it's just because I turned up and wrote my name at the top of the exam paper. But it was the first thing I learned in philosophy. It's a bit of a circle jerk 
which I'm sure you're surprised about, being <laughs> about <laughs> written by Plato. Yeah. Basically, it's this idea, it's a story which describes how essentially philosophers are the only people who are able to comprehend realms and realities beyond like empirical understanding so things you can see and things you can touch and the story is there are some prisoners chained to a wall in a cave yeah they can't move their heads they've been in this cave since they were children and that's all they know so the cave is their reality and all they can see on the wall of the cave are shadows which are being cast by puppeteers who are outside the cave in the real world. One day one of the prisoners escapes and climbs out of the cave and is dazzled by the sun. And the idea is the sun is truth and knowledge. Right. So Walter described this song as being about a loss of innocence. And it's this idea that, you know, baby Donald is going into this cave and discovering all these incredible cave paintings and learning about a completely different realm, a completely different reality. And the parallels between the allegory of the cave and this song are really distinct because there's a line, memories rush over me as I step into the sun. Yeah. which is the prisoner, a.k.a. the philosopher, walking out and having truth and knowledge kind of dazzling him yeah. from, uh, you know, and learning about a completely different life, a completely different time, yeah. and realising that there is something else beyond what you're aware of. Yeah. Yeah, that's the whole I fell down <laughs> because of this. Thing. But then, yeah, and I read it on Wikipedia and I was like, oh, fucking hell. <laughs> it was me being all clever, thinking finally my, my A-level and philosophy has come in handy but yeah and it is about a loss of innocence and it is about seeing beyond you know you're only able to see and and touch there's another almost like another universe that you're not familiar with that you've never experienced and that's what's in the caves of Altamira yeah because you just explained that amazingly but it also mirrors because the loss of innocence is mm -hmm. kind of regarded when we as a species had grown like an ego had an idea of self yes and that happens as we then suddenly have this urge to create it all kind of happened around the same time mm -hmm. like i say it's so many levels and you know when just the chorus of this song when it just says before the fall when they wrote it on the wall It's just amazing. I know. I know. The missing verse yeah. describes Donald, or whoever, the narrator, going back to the caves much, much later on, on in his life and finding out that it's been turned into a tourist attraction. Yeah. And almost like a gallery. Yeah. Which I think changes that a little bit. It sort of changes the meaning a little bit because he, he finds it a little bit kind of distasteful almost as he would yes of course he would yeah but i feel like that changes it slightly because i prefer the idea of him being like an innocent kid yeah learning about a whole new i don't want to say a whole new world because we get sued <laughs> by disney <laughs> yeah a new universe a new realm of reality yeah instead of donald being sarcastic about going to a museum that's the thing that demonstrates quite well how he's increasingly mature of his songwriting he has this whole piece that is pretty much like a wide-eyed innocent feel to it mm -hmm. and he makes a decision to not end it with some cynicism of adulthood i think that's incredible mm. i really like the idea of a baby donald going <laughs> and again it's this idea that they're outcasts that they don't really belong because he doesn't you know he prefers to hang out in caves <laughs> yeah the busy world was not for me so i went and found my own and not only that but then finding art that he can truly emotionally connect to and becomes how he looks out into the world uh -huh. Pff, fuck it it's heavy it's so heavy i think when we were discussing this over text messages there's a real kind of philosophical head fuck in this album because yeah. it really makes you think about so many different things yeah and the next song, Don't Take Me Alive, again, well, I found it to be 
quite a challenging song to get my head around. I've got two interesting things that I thought about while I was really digging into this song. Yeah, I mean, first of all, it kicks off with a, an amazing guitar solo. Yep, straight out the gate. Yeah. Straight out the gate. Yeah, no fucking about. No. This song has got the most misheard lyrics for me. <laughs> so it kicks off with Agents of the Law. So I thought that was that was Angels of the Lord for a really long time. <laughs> Amazing. Obviously it's not. Which totally changes. Yeah, like, it really yeah. does. But does it? Because I think there's really powerful religious imagery in this song. If you start to kind of scratch the surface a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I'm a bookkeeper's son. This idea of, actually, is he a pastor's son? You know, this idea of as God being a bookkeeper of sins. Wow. And then crossing... So I'm a bookkeeper's son. I, I cross my old man. Son of the cross, his old man yeah, is God. God. Yeah. I don't think he's saying Oregon. I think he's saying Aragon. Aragon. Yeah, so I thought it was an hour ago <laughs> for a really long time. And then I read the lyrics and everywhere says Oregon. And sometimes it sounds like he's saying Oregon, but then sometimes it sounds like he's saying Aragon, which is in Spain. Right. And I don't know, I was like, can I cram meaning into this? <laughs> and I, I couldn't really, because I was like, is that where the caves of, caves of Altamira are? No, it's not. But yeah, I think there's some real religious imagery in this song. Yeah, you definitely make a very strong point for that. What I noticed in this in the lyrics is that there's a a crime has been committed and this person is kind of holed up somewhere. Yeah. waiting to be caught, but he's planning just to like blow up like everyone. Yeah. But the crime itself is never disclosed. No, it isn't. I wonder whether he is actually this it's not just one crime i feel like maybe he is a repeat offender because when he talks about when no sun is shining no red light flashing That line, it makes me feel like he's just been on the run from the law for a really long time. And he yeah. just doesn't want to have that anymore. I don't feel like that's just that particular moment. I feel like he's sick of it. He's just, he's had enough. Yeah. But there's a real like cognitive dissonance in this song, isn't it? Because he's like, oh, you know, I'm just a nice guy. Then he's saying, you know, I've got a load of dynamite. I'm going to blow you all up. Yeah. I did think maybe there's an element of kind of, of like an appeal tragedy Ooh, in this. Now, that's an interesting take. I thought it was Woodkeeper's son as well. For <laughs> <a long time. laughs> I told you. Lots of uh, dodgy, misheard lyrics for me in this one. The grand profession of woodkeeping. Woodkeeping. I was like, <laughs> and then I, it didn't occur to me. I was like, woodkeeping's not a job. <laughs> Again, you kind of start stripping it down. And we've discussed that there could be three different meanings mm. to this. Mm -hmm. And you can just take it whichever way you want to take it. I know. But I think it's, it's very, very purposefully written that way. There's enough vagueness in there that you just pull your own meaning out of it. Yeah, yeah. But that's what they want you to do, though. That's yeah. what they've always encouraged the listeners to do is... Yeah. You know, I'm not going to tell you. So I think I read another interview with them and I can't remember which one it is, unfortunately. And the the chap interviewing them picked up on Kid Charlemagne and is it about, you know, is it about this guy? And they yeah. were like, you, you know, you know too much already. <laughs> um, it might be kind of thing. But that's what they want. They want you to find your own meaning. Yeah. Because, you know, whilst they are deeply, deeply serious and nerdy, I don't think they really take this themselves and their music too seriously, which is weird. It's like a really weird contradiction. Yeah, maybe them just having a lot of fun writing the songs. I would say, you know, from this record onwards, they're very serious about the playing of the music. Yes. Yeah. That is very kind of sacrosanct. I think they've got into their groove now, haven't they? 
Yeah. They know what they want. They know what musicians they want. They know what they want to say. Yeah. Um, I find a little bit on a couple of the songs that Don's vocals take a little bit of a backseat in some instances, which is weird because the lyrics are so much more, you know, accomplished and complex. Yeah. I mean, that might just be my headphones, but I feel <laughs> like the music takes much more centre stage. His vocals feel a little bit more secondary in some instances, yeah. I find. Maybe it's just because he can let the songs stand for themselves mm. a lot more than on previous yeah. records. Mm. Just the amount of detail musically in, in every song, it's just so rich. Mm. Um, and then we move on to a science fiction song. Fuck, I fucking love this song. Sign in Stranger. I actually wrote in capital letters, ah, I love this song. <laughs> at the top of my note. This is the first Steely Dan song that I actively pursued learning about. This is prior to this podcast even becoming an idea because I was like, what the fuck is this song about? <laughs> because I'd only ever listened to the band superficially, I'd always sort of, not written them off, but I've always just thought, ah, rock and roll band, blah, blah, blah. But I was like, they're talking about planet called Mizar 5 yeah what what is that all about and and you know this you zombie be born again my friend I'm like what is what are they? I, so I was genuinely curious to find out what this song was about so I've known about this song for a while yeah and yeah fucking hell the science fiction theme is well and truly it always reminds me of um, Total Recall this song Wow, that's, yeah, definitely. Mm. I will point out as well, this is a science fiction song in kind of like a reggae timing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, course. of... Of course it's reggae. Have you heard about the boom on fine? People got to shout to Because I started thinking about this because like the reggae that was coming out of Jamaica around this time, you know, if you think like Lee Scratch Perry, especially, mm. he was talking a lot about like science fiction and stuff in his works. And, and it just created this connection between the two for me. But I can't, I don't know if I can imagine Don and Walter sitting around listening to Lee Scratch Perry. That feels like two very, very different worlds. I don't know, man. They listened to Kathy Barbarian. That's very true. That is very true. They did listen to Kathy Barbarian. Who but the fuck knows? What I like about the is that it's about a utopia on the turn. You know, things are going wrong. This guy has travelled the stars to get there. And what I really like as well is they describe him as a scurvy brother. Yes. Almost like... He in the same way that you would get scurvy on a long voyage at sea. Yeah. You could get scurvy on a long voyage of the stars. Like yeah. that's just like, that's just like such a tiny little nugget, but it's just, oh, it's just amazing. I know. It's great. So I read that Mizar 6 is in a novel called The Star King by Jack Vance. Right. And apparently they're a bit of a swatty bunch on that planet. Which is why all of the wrong ones go to Mizar 5. Ah. Uh, but that's Steely Dan's interpretation. So yeah. they're like really kind of religious and ascetic on Mizar 6. But they're not on this other planet. They're just like absolute dregs of society. Yeah, because in verse 2, it says, do you like to take a yo-yo for a ride? What does that mean? Like a yo-yo. I think the only reference I could think of is... I'm pretty sure in the Three Stooges they call each other a yo-yo, oh. just like just a bit of a like a dumbass or just a yeah. Because it's a yo-yo for a ride. Yeah, that makes sense now. Yeah, do you want to take an idiot for a yeah. ride? Zombie, I can see you're qualified. Yeah. Oh, I get it now. Thank you. That's okay. <laughs> and it kind of I kind of feel like that verse references as well pre Second World War Berlin where it was like this really audacious like party town mm -hmm. and you know it had this like ridiculous red light district and and just had all this kind of depravity happening mm -hmm. and i kind of feel like it references that as well like mm -hmm. you know it's just 
it's just everything's everything's like on the edge everything's nearly sliding you know to catastrophe Mm -hmm. but it's just just about being kind of kept afloat yeah i'm just reading the lyrics love or leave her yellow fever (laughs) (laughs) it's really quite sleazy isn't it yeah Yeah. I kind of want to go to the Café d'Escargot, though. <laughs> See her do the Can Can Jacques. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it paints such a vivid picture. And that's what makes me think it's like Total Recall. This kind of, you know, barely holding on society. In fact, is it even a society? It's just a load of, like, you know, reprobates who have a terrible past and they're coming to have their identities changed. yeah. To yeah. get away from the cops. Yeah. I presume they probably would have read Philip K. Dick. His story is what got turned into Total Recall. Yes. We can remember it for you wholesale. I'd be very surprised if they weren't reading Philip K. Dick. D- they definitely were. Yeah. Of course they were. Yeah. But it's just, oh man. It's got a beautiful piano solo in it. Yeah. It's got an amazing guitar solo at the end. In fact, the way it opens with the piano, it puts me in mind of like a sleazy yeah. kind of saloon bar. Yeah. And again, it's this tie into the their occasional dipping in and out of the Wild West in yeah. Cowboys as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. A lawless sort of, yeah, saloon bar, really trashy and sleazy and you're just kind of walking in and there's some, you know, it's like 2am and or maybe even earlier. 4am <laughs> and there's just you know water slumped over a, an upright piano hammering away the the intro to signing stranger yeah yeah definitely what a song oh my god the fez so we've talked about lyrically dense songs we've had four lyrically dense songs in a row yeah and we come to the fez it's a real palate cleanser yes isn't it yeah and it's all about a vibe more than you know it just it just has this rhythm to it and the lyrics kind of snake around the rhythm Mm, snake's a really good word because it's kind of it's kind of got this old sort of movie vibe to it hasn't it yeah yeah it has imagine that it being on some kind of like black and white film yeah set in morocco yeah my notes to this say is funky public service announcement <laughs> that's a very good description yeah because this is an ode to safe sex it really is yeah. yes yeah, it is, because the fez, of course, is a condom. Yeah. I did some research on the actual fez hat itself. Ah, okay. And this is this is this is where you talked about at the top. Yeah, the Ottoman turban. Because <laughs> so the Ottoman turban was a very complex headdress and it would denote social status, military class, like all these different things. Uh-huh. Um and then as as that part of the world became more westernized the fez kind of became more popular headdress mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. especially around younger men I just I just love that they made me look up the Ottoman <laughs> turban Um do you find that there are some similarities in terms of the themes with Bodhisattva because the fez and you know that it's this kind of like simplified a lot of western women found the fez very kind of exotic and romantic and yeah. that kind of idea you know of, you know a lover in morocco and that kind That's of thing Blanca. yeah that kind of that kind of thing but it's again it's this really sort of superficial understanding of a, of a culture a whole culture and country and religion even and yeah i, I find the parallels with that and bodhisattva quite interesting but bodhisattva obviously for like you know far eastern culture yeah. The religious thing. So I've read some 
theories that I want to be your holy man is 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 on a religious theme. But I've always interpreted that as being, I want you to have a great time. I want you to shout, oh my God. Oh, <laughs> that's exactly what he's saying. That's what I thought. Yeah. That's what, I, that's what I've always thought. Even when I learned about, you know, what we were just discussing about, you know, Ottoman turbans. I've always just imagined that to be, you know, I want you to have an orgasm. Yeah. I want you to have a great time. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Because yeah. I was I was thinking of the whole like Roman Catholic like method of uh birth oh, control. The rhythm method. The rhythm method. Yeah. Hundred percent effective. Ninety nine percent of the time. <laughs> um but yeah, I've always I've always thought that about this song. And also, thanks guys, it's a rare, respectful Yes song yes. about about sex, about women having a great time i'm gonna um, i don't want to have sex with you unless it's protected and i want you to have an orgasm like Um, thanks very much yeah i i will say like they've lost that kind of chip on their shoulder about women to a point there's a couple of things i will probably pick up later on cool but it's not as bad no it's not as bad no as the previous albums but yeah this one is a very very rare respectful but like more than respectful actually i've written cheers guys in my notes (laughs) and of course all saints sampled this in i know where it's at When I was listening to this album for the first time and the fez started, and I'd never heard the fez. Yeah. And it came on and I was like, oh, hang on a second, my fucking Spotify's broken. Because I thought it had skipped to All Saints, but it obviously hadn't. But yeah, they use it. I think they use it quite well, actually, All Saints, in this, in, in I Know Where It's At. Amazing. Oh, and a couple of more fun facts for you. So, Donald and Walter are actually credited as co-writers on I Know Where It's At by All Saints. Yeah. Which I think is quite mad. And also, Paul Griffin is a co-writer on this song, on the album. And I don't know of any other Stevie Dan song which has another credited co-writer apart from Walter and Donald. Yeah, that's a good point. Because apparently he came up with, like, the the main melody, didn't he, of Fez, like, the mm. what the keyboard plays. Yeah, which I love. Yeah. Which is wild. That is very wild. I love this song. I really... I've, I said this at the start, start of the episode fucking love every single song on this album and this one is one of my favorites i love it and i love the way donald sings as well yeah he's just you know it's like he's carrying every single word in his mouth yeah you kind of feel like he's just having a lot of fun yeah yeah it does sound like it's one of their little kind of ideas that they're playing around with almost like they were just jamming and this came out yeah and he was just like mucking around with the words yeah like yeah the fez it doesn't feel like it it was a difficult song no it doesn't yeah i love this song and it's got an amazing i keep talking about the solos on this record but everyone is a gem walter becker's guitar solo on this tune is just oh yeah it just turns and changes and you don't really know where it's gonna go Mm -hmm. and it's just this wonderful beautiful solo green earrings Fucking I feel hell. this is a really different character they're describing in this song I think this is quite different to any I'm just thinking I'm just thinking are there any other characters like this person that no. they're singing about in any of their songs because he is absolutely smooth as hell yeah and it is a guy I yeah. think yeah yeah I definitely they almost kind of glorify this character's predilection for crime mm-hmm and it reminds me of George Clooney in Ocean's Eleven. Ah, yeah. You know? Good shout, yeah. Like a really... Cold, de- daring. Yeah, just a real, like, debonair guy that just gets what he wants when he wants it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that t- that actually, now you've said 
George Clooney, that's exactly who this person is because he's stealing his lover's earrings. Yeah. And she's like, fucking take him. <laughs> take him. I love yeah, you. I love you. Have them. You're really, you're really hot. Take my earrings. The rings of rare design. I know. I love singing that bit. <laughs> There's so much good stuff to sing along with on this album and that's yeah. one of them. Yeah. Again, you just got these like amazing you know this guy just like sees things and he just like he cut he just has this pure compulsion yeah. to make them his own this is one of the examples of where i wasn't completely sure that heroin didn't make an appearance at all on this album because i did wonder whether is he stealing to feed an addiction or is he just stealing because he just fucking gets a kick out of stealing i don't think he gets a kick out of stealing he gets a kick out of possessing okay because in verse two, where he says, Greek medallion sparkles when you smile. Sorry, angel, I get hungry like a child. Yeah, but then I was thinking, is that hunger for the heroin? Oh, well, this is not a fully formed take, but I, yeah. this is something I was mulling over. Because I really want this record to not have a heroin <laughs> reference. <laughs> All right, we'll pretend it doesn't. Yeah, uh, but no, but I think... Focus on the earrings and the rings of rare design. Yeah. You know, sparkles when you smile. Yeah. It's like, I really want to just steal these beautiful things from you because I want them. Yeah. Really want those things and sorry, babe. And I want to kind of bewitch you. Yeah. Intoxicate you and nick your stuff. Yeah. I mean, if George Clooney wants to steal my earrings, then I don't actually have many pairs of earrings, so we'll have to choose something else. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, the George Clooney thing, oh my God, you've completely clicked something in my brain. That's exactly who should play the green earrings guy. Yeah. When they make that Steely Dan biopic. (laughs) Yeah. There's two guitarists in this song. Yes. Isn't there? The, Denny, Denny, and Elliot. Yeah, Elliot Randall. So the way the first solo opens is one of my favourite, like opening solos ever. I just every time I hear it, I'm just like, that's such an amazing way to because he's from what I can hear and what I imagine the guitarist is doing, like he's muting the strings and he's like strumming up and he gets this like tiny little piece of feedback. And then just goes into this like really lyrically dense like solo. And then and then Elliot Randall like picks it up. So he yeah. almost like passes it to him. And yeah. then you get a solo like in his style. I think Denny did struggle a little bit with the idea of them having multiple guitarists originally, but then he kind of got his head around it and realised how well it worked. And that he was probably being paid some nice dollar. Well, exactly. To do it. Exactly. Just to but play yeah. some solos on a record. But that's just, that's how, you know, two drummers, two guitarists, even when they were touring, they'd have two drummers and two guitarists doing two separate parts and having to kind of merge together. Yeah. Like what, what an incredible approach for a band and you know that's ignoring the lyrics yeah 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 they're kind of two very detailed pieces Mm. you know i will say as well this song is sampled by ice cube on this on the track don't trust them now shit don't change Oh, I didn't know that. Haitian Divorce. The Return of the Talk Box. Yes. yes. And it's another, it's quite rude, this one as well, isn't it? Yeah. Got a bit of, uh, I wrote, ooh, poking. <laughs> saucy. I'd say it's saucy. It's saucy. It's very saucy. It has the best 
well, one of the best couplets in it, which is "Now we dolly back, now we fade oh, to black." Oh shit! My God, is, that is just that line is just. I'm getting goosebumps just saying it. Yeah, it it takes you out of the song in a way because it's kind of you're then just looking you're looking in on Mm -hmm. the event happening Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but but there's actually you know it's a filmic quality to the situation just referencing like a technical production (laughs) in such a detailed story i know it's just but then it it acts as a function as well doesn't it because it kind of separates the two halves of the story yeah yeah before yeah but we should probably describe, explain what a Haitian divorce is. Yeah, go for it. You can... So a Haitian divorce is, was basically a quickie divorce. And you didn't have to have the other partner present. So you could just basically go to Haiti. And it was very popular with American people. You just go to Haiti, get a quickie divorce, really easy, no bureaucracy, no red tape. And that's what this is about. It's basically they were in love, but they fell out. And she's gone to Haiti to get a quickie divorce shag some guy out there and then just tries to reconcile gets pregnant gets pregnant gets pregnant by charlie with a kinky head <laughs> kind of like wrestles it kind of feels like he's because re- it says tearful reunion in the usa mm-hmm. so do they get back together and then he takes this son on as his own i don't i so i don't know because there's almost like the question of like, who's this kinky so-and-so? He's referring to the hair, isn't he? Yeah, of the child. Yeah. But it's almost like they get back together and she has the baby and it's almost like we're going, mm, hang on a minute, I don't think this kid's mine. I don't think it's maybe him because it says... Some babies grow in a peculiar way It changed, it grew And everybody It's vague, isn't it? It's just, yeah, it's, just but it's just vague. That's why you love it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's but, why we love it. But it's just, I love how this song opens, and it's got a really nice change of pace between like the verse and the chorus. Mm-hmm. And another great solo in this yes. song. Yeah, an amazing solo in yeah. this song. I love that. Yeah, I know. It really paints a picture, doesn't it? Because she's like, she, and this is another zombie reference. She drinks the zombie from the cocoa shell. She feels all right. She get it on tonight. It's like, oh, I'm in Haiti. I'm having a nice cocktail. I'm going to get a taxi to the good hotel. I'm yeah. going to, yeah, I'm going to meet someone. She's like, time. she's she's feeling like, yeah, man, I'm in the mood. Yeah. And I, and I like out of any drink they could choose. They chose the zombie. They chose the zombie, <laughs> to, because of the Haiti setting. Yep, of course. It's like, what else would you drink in a place that, you know, has voodoo? Of course. You drink course. a zombie. Yeah, but yeah, I love this song as well. I absolutely love it. It's just, you know, it tells such a vivid, stunning story. And yeah, I'll never get that cut out of my head. Now we dolly back, now we face back. And every time I say it, I get goosebumps. <laughs> it's genius. It's, just it's amazing. Genius. It's, just, it's amazing. Yeah. So moving on. Everything you did. So this was one that we, again, we talked about last week because I'm not 100% sure about whether this is about domestic violence. I think it might be. It's got a simmering anger. Yeah, it's very dark. Yes, yeah. And again, obviously there's there's, there's the sexual undertones to this song as well. Sex yeah. is in this album. It's like banging and crime. <laughs> <laughs> but what's really interesting is the the sex on this record is very complex. Yes, it is. It's I kind of feel like before this record, the four records before it almost have like a kind of teenage way about sex or teenage yeah, kind of I think because they were so young 
Yeah, because what they're um, like. I mean, they're still young now, but like, you know, they're like what twenty nine on this record. Yeah, so they're obviously 29. being in Steely Dan and yeah. experiencing all of the things that go with being in a really successful rock and roll band. Yeah, they've probably seen a few things. Yeah, by this point, and yeah, they've probably grown up in an incredibly short space of time. Yeah, and that's reflected, yeah, in the way they talk about sex in this song. Yeah. Yeah. I do like how this story like plays out where he's, you know, he's come home, a guy's like run out of the house and like his first instinct is to like kill the guy. But he wants to know in explicit detail yeah, what they did. What they did. Yeah. And like, is he getting off on that a little bit? Well, that's yeah, but that's kind. Of, it's that line, isn't it? Now you're going to do oh, like, look, everything think, you did. Yeah, exactly. That's like, so, that's like the last line. Yeah, the closing line. I really like that. So the character description in this of the guy, I have this really like you know this sad suburban guy because he talks about getting out of his easy chair. Yeah, and he talks about, like, a happy home as well. Yes, and um, the line, um, I never knew you, you were a roller skater. I never knew you, you were a roller skater. You gotta show me later. Turn up the eagles, the neighbours are listening. I love singing along to that bit as well. That bit's amazing. And then yeah. the, the end of that, where he says, turn up the eagles, the neighbours are listening. Mm-hmm. Man, that's like just so perfect. Because 1976, when this record came out, Hotel California had been out not so long before. And I read an interview, and again, I can't remember if it was both of them or one of them, but they said they just felt like everywhere they went, they just heard Hotel California by the by the eagles yeah everyone was listening to it yeah and so it's just like just that really nice detail you know that this couple bought this like really well-selling record and that's what they're gonna use to distract their neighbors with but that it's that line though that makes me feel a little bit like is it domestic violence or is he just in a homicidal rage and he's going to kill her lover. I get this idea and turn up, turn up the eagles and neighbours are listening. I'm going to beat the shit out of you. That's what I've got in my head. Which troubles me. But then it's... But then the line where he says, wait, you're going to do every, do all of those things to me. Then that, that makes me think, is it really about that? Or is he just kind of, like you say, getting off on... Yeah. He says that. But then in the outro, he does say, <clears throat> you did, baby. She does show him everything that happened mm-hmm. between her and her lover. Yeah. It's, it's a very... You never came to me when you were so inclined. Yeah, it's just a very weird, really weird situation. Yeah, but it's a weird situation, but it's a great song. Yes. Cat like California rock. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's just beautiful. I fucking love this album, Lizzie. <laughs> I know. I love it too. I fucking it's my favorite fucking album of yeah. theirs. I just love it. There's just and th- this was even before I started picking apart the lyrics. Yeah. Which yeah. has just blown my mind. Yeah, when I started digging into the lyrics, because I kind of, I've, you know, I've, I've been listening to this record probably since like the early two thousands. So I've been mm. listening to it for nearly, well, nearly twenty years. Holy shit! Yeah, which is really weird because when I was listening to it, it wasn't even a twenty year old album. I know it was just over a twenty year old album, so it's nearly a 40 year old album you've just you've just kind of totally screwed with my head now because i was thinking 2000 that's 10 years ago <laughs> yeah that's what i nearly said but it no, wasn't it's not it's nearly 20 years oh fuck's sake yeah anyway we're at the end of the record we are at the end of the record we're i get to say i guess i want to say tit again <laughs> it's the titular number yes the royal scam yeah which oh oh this song man this it's is beautiful. This is the, t- the backing vocals on this. Holy shit. Yeah. This is like top five Steely Dan song. Really? Yeah. Oh, love it. And again, you start digging into the lyrics of this song. And 
you just realize that it is a damnation of the american dream yeah it is and 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 the american dream is a royal scam Mm -hmm. that's that is the scam they're talking about Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that the american dream is fucking bullshit it's bullshit wowzers you know that's that's like big talk for 1976 yeah because the bicentennial was um i think the bicentennial was 1975 i want to say that um let me have a look so the bicentennial celebration of america of the genocide of an indigenous race Mm -hmm. is the same year and so they've written this song about how fucking bullshit it all is that has to have been deliberate yes without a shadow of a doubt mm-hmm. and, and it's all told from an immigrant's perspective yeah about you know them turning up and and you know they don't have any money and they're looking on the promised land where surely life was sweet So they get there and they're just like, fuck. Fuck. What the <laughs> fuck have we walked exactly. into? Exactly. Yeah, that is. It's the, it's the Puerto Rican yeah. settlers. It's told from their perspective, isn't it? Because St. John is St. Juan, isn't it? St. Juan. Juan. Yeah. 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 Um, it's like a real, but kind of quite an obvious play on words. Yeah. But I find this song, I feel like if you were to change the production of it, and give it to Maddie Pryor, it could sound like a, a Steel Ice Band song. Wowzers. Because of the, yes. Yeah, because of the, the lyrics, you know, when they're talking about the boats of iron, there's a real kind of folk rock. Because they weren't afraid of folk rock, really, were they? They weren't really afraid of any genre. It's very clear, you know, when we look over these five records, that their listening is, is just as broad as their reading. Mm-hmm. You know, they're listening to a lot of stuff and they're folding things. Mm-hmm into their songwriting yeah yeah and when it talks about an angry race of fallen kings their dark companions yeah again i feel like this is you know it's it's very it's that kind of kind of epic folk because folk songs traditional folk songs are generally really depressing nothing good ever happens in traditional folk songs no everyone dies the ship sinks someone gets murdered and i get this really strong vibe from this song yeah exactly the same thing yeah and it's tragic it is it's it's very much like kind of holding a mirror up isn't it Mm. and just saying like you know look look at what we say but look at what the reality of the situation actually is yeah savage winter um shared the room with 20 sinners and you crammed into a room full of like 20 people yeah and that's where you live that's where you sleep that's where you exist it's it's really sad and powerful yeah and, and also and also saying where he's like writing to like his dad back home Yeah, but and, lying. But lying and just saying that everything's as it as it was supposed to be. Yeah. Doesn't want to kind of share that disappointment. Mm. Yeah. It's got a real cinematic as well. It's got a real... The piano. Because it's, it's fairly simple, isn't it? Yeah, well, yeah. Well, it's kind of that got... kind of like, you know, that kind of driving... And there's a real, like, New York kind of piano as well. Yeah. I don't know whether New York piano is a thing. It is in my head. Yeah, it's got this cinematic feel and then the backing vocals as well, which just blow my mind every time I hear them.
It's just got like a real pulse to it, hasn't it? And mm-hmm. and that pulse builds up into a crescendo and you have all this like beautiful like brass and you have Larry Colton playing his fucking hands off. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah. On this album. He re- pops up. I sh- you should really check out his solo records from the 70s. They're pretty magical. I think this song cemented how great this band were for me. Mm-hmm. And, and it made me, me start to properly listen to them, mm. you know, instead of just, you know, putting them on and just being like, hey, I'm going to listen to Steely Dan. Yeah. It's like, fucking hell, these guys are really great musicians, really great songwriters. And yeah, this this song cements all of that for me, I think. Yeah, you, you chose the song about the fake American dream and I chose the song about uh, a, a fucking Sin, Sin City planet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. <Yeah. laughs> it is what it is. It is what it is, mate. Oh, what, what a great album. I've, I've loved talking about this. I've been desperate to talk yeah. to you about this bloody album. Me too. Um, but next time... Oh, oh shit! I know, I know. I have deliberately not listened to it. I've... I haven't listened to Asia deliberately, so I can go in and run my process on Asia fresh. I'm so excited about it. I've dipped into it because I just couldn't stop myself. <laughs> you needed your fix. Yeah, my copy on CD is a master. Is the the mastering on it? Is done by a guy called Steve Hoffman, who is regarded as like the best of the best. So I I haven't listened to the CD. I've listened to it streaming, but mm-hmm. I haven't actually put the CD on. So okay. so so I'm going to be researching, considering, thinking about this record and listening to the best version you can get of it. So I'm quite excited. In a, a, that makes me sound like an incredible nerd. No, that's you are an incredible nerd. That's the, whole, that's the fucking point, Josh. <laughs> I feel like I've been a bit potty mouth on this episode, but I'm just I love this album so much. It makes me makes me do swears. Yeah, well, like I swear a lot, so ah, fuck it. Yeah, fuck it. <laughs> cool. Um, well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as we enjoyed talking about it. I really loved talking about that album john yeah me too it was great it was really great apologies that this episode is slightly longer than our previous but there's a lot there's a lot to pack in to this there's, a, there's a lot to pack in i mean asia's really short so yeah you know but there's oh my god <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot to talk about on that album as well. <laughs> i could probably even do one hour on one song alone yeah <laughs> but thank you i hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you next time see you later this podcast is a proud member of the bff.fm podcast network learn more at podcasts.bff.fm bff.fm best frequencies forever